everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we are now officially into spring training. Our first spring training pipeline podcast. So many players that we haven't seen in such a long time. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk to Texas Rangers pitching prospect Dane Dunning in his first season with a new organization. We're going to talk a little bit about a under-25 draft that Jim and Jonathan uh, just took part of, and a story will be running on on the site soon. Uh, We're going to take a look at a couple of Rays trades, and then we're going to wrap up by answering your question in the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, the season has feels like it's begun now. Uh, We talked about this last week that we were spring training was about to start. We couldn't believe it. Uh, we're less than a week away from games now. And uh, I know we talked about this last week, but for me, uh, you know, this is as exciting of a spring training in some ways as as there's been in my 16 years with this company, um, just because there are so many players that we haven't seen in such a long time. No, I'd agree with that. It's like, you know, for the first time, you know, you know, not counting major league games, like we have prospects all over the place getting back to business for the first time in in eleven months. Uh, you know, the the Division One college season started over the weekend. Also, um, after the college players, outside of maybe if you happen to run into a guy in some pop up summer league somewhere, college guys hadn't played in in eleven months either. My uh, my alma mater off to a three one start at, at Georgia, although. Jonathan Cannon out with mono and Ryan Webb out with COVID. Um, they still managed to win three or four games with their top two starters out. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited and I'm also excited that temperatures are creeping back above freezing here in the Chicago area. So I can actually imagine playing baseball outdoors locally at some point in the near future. Who who had under three minutes for when Jim would mention Georgia in this podcast? I had over. So you I, should I didn't take win the over because, like, I had to work that in. It wasn't on. It wasn't well, on. Like, the, it's uh, ever an effort for you budget. to work work in Georgia. I mean, it's really remarkable. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it is exciting. I mean, it's funny because you know we were so starved for any video. You know, you think about how excited we were when you know, Mariners player development Twitter account would tweet out a video of Jared Kelnick hitting a homer in the alternate site. Yeah. So it, it just to be able to see them in spring training games and, and things of that nature, you know, even if our, our coverage of spring training is, is going to be different, you know, normally around this time, Jim or, or I, you know, would likely be making our way to Florida or Arizona for the start of our coverage. So it's definitely different, but just to see some of these players uh, again, uh, especially because it, it'll be the first step in answering the question that you know, we get all the time uh, that, uh, you know, which is how will the, the year off for these players we haven't seen, what is it going to mean? Uh, and we won't know. We won't know from spring training, but it it is it, it exciting. It, it feels like we're inching towards spring um, uh, on the sort of personal front uh my son started practice at his Division three school in New Haven, Connecticut. So baseball is afoot. So it's, it's all very exciting. Pipeline podcast pop quiz. Catching you off guard by throwing one in here early. Danny, can we, can we get some music for a pipeline podcast pop quiz or something on, on a soundboard? Sure. And I really think at this point too, Jason, that like you are not catching us off guard because you do this all the time. So I can't not, say not that this I'm early. Not this early. I'm not surprised. I, okay. I think I I threw one on you guys this early in the last show. So I actually thought, to be fair, that this week we would have a pop quiz before Jim before would mention Georgia. the Bulldogs. Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. This is a three-part pipeline podcast. Wow. Pop quiz. Wow. How many top 100 prospects have not played a professional game yet? Jason Dominguez is one. There are enough that I don't think you want to list them all. Well, there's a bunch of the guys from this year's draft, minus right. Garrett Crochet. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to say 15. You, you nailed it, Jonathan. Bam. It is 15. Yes. Uh, I vaguely court. remembered how many draftees. I think that's why that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Draftees. Um, Dominguez. 
Yeah, so there are 15 players on the top 100 prospects list that we have not even seen play a game yet. How many top 100 prospects have not played in a game since 2018? You're stumped. This is an addition I'm trying to, to think on, on a top of the 15 who obviously haven't played yet, right? I mean, we're talking about a professional game, right? Yeah, they, they have played professional games, but not since 2018. So you got like Kopech. Uh, like, uh, I got to add Michael Kopech. Yeah. Hunter Hunter Green. Those are the two. Now we we were talking before we started recording here uh, about longtime top 100 prospect Brent Honeywell, no longer on the top 100 prospects list. But we talked about this uh, before we started recording. He has not pitched in a game since 2017, and we expect to see him this year finally. Jim, you mentioned that it was uh, shortly after he had that incredible, what was it, Futures game? Yeah, he was really good in the Fall Stars game. The Fall Stars game, right. Yeah. I think he and Kopech were really good at the Fall Stars game, and then they came back and they were both really good at that Futures game, which I think was in Miami in 2017. Um, yeah, and then he pitched his last professional game uh, in September of 2017. All right, and then how many of the top 100 prospects did not play last year? 67. Um, Do we have to, like, who gets closer without going over? Well, I guess we need to clarify, does this include... I guess this includes the 15 that that, uh, have not played at all, right? I would think so. Okay, so I might uh, be light, but I was just trying. I was I was guessing that roughly a third of these guys. I'll say seventy-three. Jonathan is all over it today. The correct answer is seventy-four. Wow! Wow! Jonathan, champion of today's pipeline podcast pop quiz. So yeah, I, Hunter Green. Uh, you know, there's a story on uh, Reds.com and MLB.com/slash/pipeline right now. And he, he was very straightforward about his goal for this year being to reach the big leagues. And when I read that, I just thought, is he really going to be in the big leagues this year? I mean, I guess, you know, it's good. Seventeen pick, Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it just seems like it's been so long since we've seen him. And the last time we saw him was at low A. Right. Um, and now suddenly we're talking about him being in uh in the big leagues well he's yeah, talking I mean, about it i, I don't i don't see how there's <laughs> any shot that that happens just because no. there's development things he needs to do they're going to have him on an innings limit because he hasn't pitched since 2018 um he wouldn't be up in the big leagues early so that would be after he pitched some in the minors um i mean you like the confidence but i, I don't think there's any way that that, that, that yeah, any way that happens i mean if i were hunter green yeah i'd just be focusing on you know, like the nuances of pitching that he didn't get to work on the last couple of years, like refining the breaking ball, refining his command, maybe adding some more fastball life to go with the velocity, you know, using the changeup more. I mean, he's got a lot to work on because he hasn't pitched in two years. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing, and this is not speaking to the possibility of him reaching the big leagues. I mean, it's good. He's always had that kind of swagger and I'm glad that he feels confident and that he feels like the stuff has come back and he, he added a cutter uh, at the alternate site. So I'm curious to see how that helps. Um, Cause he hasn't obviously hasn't thrown it in a, in a real game yet. Uh, the only thing is that he, he is one who, La, you know, last year being washed out didn't necessarily hurt him that much because he wasn't likely to pitch. Um, so, you know, he he's kind of where he should be, and we'll see. You know, I I can't imagine that they're gonna, you know, let's let's say what they start him in in high A, maybe because he's shown enough advancement they could start him in double. A. I can't imagine him advancing multiple levels to to get to the big leagues. But you know, good uh, good for him for for setting the bar high and you know, there'll be no shame if he doesn't, if he doesn't make it to, doesn't make it to that goal in, in 2021. And of course, uh, you know, David Bell, when, when asked about that, uh, said what he's basically got to say, which is if, if what's best for Hunter Green is to challenge him at the major league (laughs) level at some point in 2021, we certainly won't hold him back for that. (laughs) Good answer. 
All right, so let's talk uh, about some more prospects that we're going to see in big league camp. Uh, uh, the two of you, uh, along with Sam Dykstra, uh, worked on a story where you identified the most intriguing prospect in, uh, in each team's big league camp, NRIs, non-roster invitees. And it is, uh, it's a star-studded list. The five of the top six prospects in baseball are on that list. Um, who missed and, it? And, and, the only guy who missed it. I well, think. he, well, the, the only guy who missed it is because oh, he made Mariners. <laughs> yeah. So it's Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> Rodriguez was the choice for the Mariners, but Kelnick is, uh, Kelnick's number five on the top 100 list and Rodriguez is number six, but, um, one through six, all in big league camp, um, and all on this list. Um, how about, how about for you guys? Among the 30 players that you list that are listed in this story, some of the ones that uh, are most intriguing of the most intriguing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to start with, uh, well, one, the Mariners is interesting because, you know, not only yet, you, you know, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kellen, but Logan Gilbert, who has a chance to make the, the rotation. I almost went with Gilbert uh, because he probably has the best chance of that, that trio to, make the opening day roster. Um, I chose Rodriguez just because he's coming back off the injury that made it a little more intriguing to sort of, so he can kind of set the bar where he, you know, to show where he is in terms of being close to the big leagues. But uh, the, the guy that kind of jumped out to me was a guy that, uh, that Sam wrote about, and that's Nolan Gorman. And we'll, I, we're going to, I'll tease the inbox question about him later on. But, you know, one of the things that's going to be interesting is uh, where he, where is he going to play you now? Now that Nolan Arenado is with the Cardinals, and he is coming to camp ready to play multiple positions, and uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, this isn't a guy who's going to be knocking on the big league door, but uh, he is going to get his first chance to show whether or not he has you know the the versatility to to play other positions other than third base. I'm actually going to go off the, the, the top 30 board for, for my two names, two guys who are not on current top 30 prospects lists. Um, with the Rangers, this guy fascinates me. They have a, a right-handed reliever named Fernery Ozuna, whose entire pro career pitching-wise consists of 12 innings in the rookie-level Dominican Summer League back in 2018, and yet he can make the Texas bullpen at some point this year. He was originally an infielder signed by the Diamondbacks back in 2012, um, got released six years later and then moved to the mound when the Rangers picked him up and, you know, he blew out his elbow while he's pitching the DSL. So he had Tommy John surgery. And then he had, you know, obviously a lot of time off during the rehab, but since he's come back, he he's had a, a fastball that's ranged from 96 to hundred miles an hour, a slider in the upper eighties. Um, and I think there's a chance you could see this guy in the big leagues this year. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, I think there's a, an outside outside chance of his stuff's unbelievable in spring training. You, you could see the rare DSL to big league jump. I, I'm not calling that one, but but he's a guy we could see in the big leagues. And then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stay in Texas with the Astros. And, and we did not add the players who just signed out of the, the delayed 2020 international class to the top 30s. Pedro Leon will be on our, our new Astros top 30 list when that comes out next month. But I'm just interested in, in seeing him play. You know, he, he got a $4 million bonus, which is the, the largest bonus any player is going to get in, in this year's international class. You know, He hasn't been seen a lot because he defected from Cuba and then he wasn't playing for a while. But the last time he, he was on the field, he had 15 homers in 33 games of Cuba's top league, which, again, I mean, the, the pitching isn't what it used to be. You can't read too much into those stats. But it's pretty cool to see a guy who hits a home run every other game with an ops over 1,200. And, I mean, there's a lot of raw power there. Uh, he can really run. He's got an 80 arm in the outfield. He can play center. He, he, he even may work out a little bit at shortstop. So, I mean, he immediately becomes the Astros' best position player prospect. Um, and, and he'll be in big league camp as a non-roster invite. And, and I think not so much with him because, I mean, he just signed – I, I think we're going to see some interesting 
development past this year that I do think with teams with a number of top prospects who normally wouldn't head to AAA at the beginning of the season, I think will be in AAA at the beginning of the season for a development for development reasons, so they can get more game action. And then you may see guys sent down to double A when, when that season begins, uh, you know, at some point in May, but I, but I think you're going to see some guys open in triple A, whether that's, those are games, alternative sites, what have you. Um, and then, you know, take a step down, you know, once the rest of the minor leagues get going. All right. That story is up on MLB pipeline.com and MLB.com slash pipeline right now. Uh, mentioned that the top, Six players on the top 100 list, all in big league spring training. Wander Franco, Adley Rutschman, Spencer Torkelson, Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Mackenzie Gore, who, Jim, I can't believe you didn't choose to talk about. Uh, some other names on the list include top 100 prospects, Jeter Downs of the Red Sox, Daniel Lynch of the Royals, um, Royce Lewis of the Twins, Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox, Reed Detmers of the Angels, so many elite prospects that we're going to get to uh, get a glimpse of in spring training this year. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to another top 100 prospect, Rangers pitcher Dane Dunning. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. 25-year-old Dane Dunning. One and two from Dunning. And a swing and a miss, strike three. First strikeout, keep that baseball, Dane Dunning, and get it to the authenticator. He gets a strikeout there to lead off the second inning. There's a check swing and strike three. Dunning's got four strikeouts. Swing and a miss, strike three. That curveball absolutely snapped away and veered into the dirt. When you command both sides of the plate with your fastball, you can do this. And then you show him something that looks like it might be a strike, and if you're Paredes, no chance. It's been special. Oh, another absolutely lethal breaking ball. 3-2 coming. Swing and a miss, strike three. A dastardly curveball. Oh, Dunning got another boomerang, and he saved himself for the second time tonight. This is wild. Dane Dunning is going to leave, but he's got to be and should be ecstatic with this performance. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline here with Dane Dunning of the Texas Rangers. I, Dane, I keep catching myself say, thinking Dane Dunning of the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if you've wrapped your head around that, but thanks for joining us today. And, and I guess the, the first question I want to ask you is, which trade caught you more by surprise? Getting traded by the Nationals to the White Sox about six months after you were a first-round pick, or this offseason after making your big league debut, going to the Rangers in the Lance Lynn deal? Um, honestly, both caught me off guard. Um, originally with the Nationals, um, it was kind of a, 
I was messing with a couple of buddies because I was rumored in a, a trade for like a sale. I think he was the first person that they were trading away and the rumors were happening that I was going to be traded for him. So I was messing with my buddies telling, telling them I got traded. And, um, obviously that wasn't, uh, wasn't the case. Well, then the next day, uh, talking to the same buddies, my brother comes barging in the room and he's like, dude, you just got traded. And I was like, what are you talking about? Thinking that he heard me, uh, talking to my buddies and was just like messing with me. Um, and then, well, you know, by about five, 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from my agent and I was traded. Um, but I mean, those just kind of like, it just kind of came out of the blue. I know that the Rangers were trying to trade for me, uh, during the trade deadline. There was rumor that that was going to happen. And then, um, once that didn't happen, I thought that obviously I was going to, you know, stay with white Sox and everything. And then during this off season, the rumors came back up again. And, um, fortunately to be in the spot I'm in. How heartening was it to make your big league debut this year? Because you were, I think if you had, I mean, from, you know, I do our White Sox prospect stuff and from talking to people in the organization, I think if you, your elbow hadn't started acting up in 2018, you probably would have made your big league debut before the end of the 2018 season. Then you wound up having Tommy John surgery and the long road back from that. Um, and then, crazily enough, your first official game, I think, in, in more than two calendar years was in the big leagues. Like, I think you hadn't pitched since July, 2018 and you debuted this August, but what was, you know, what, what was that like to be so close to the big leagues and then have it taken away for, for close to two years. And then finally to get there this year and be part of a playoff team. Um, when originally happened, obviously it was, uh, you know, it was very depressing. It was a very bad moment. Now I view it more of a blessing in disguise. Um, I mean, I was still learning and I was, and I'm, and I'm still am learning. Um, but I learned a lot about myself and about my body during that rehab stint. Um, you know, going through Tommy John surgery, how to properly take care of my arm. Uh, I learned that at least for me, like I, I personally, I, I need structure for when I go to like workouts. So like, uh, what helps me, uh, stay motivated to work out and do things. It's like being with groups or being, you know, having a coach or like a, a private trainer or something like that. And, um, and those are things I didn't know before the 2018 season. Um, I've always been a person that's very loose and just kind of go with the flow, happy go lucky. And, um, I've always been, I worked out and everything, but I've always been able to rely on just raw talent instead of being able to, you know, I have to within like an endure a 140 game season for the minor leagues. And then obviously 164, um, and I, I didn't, I didn't know that yet. So, um, I learned a lot about myself during that. Speaking of learning, you know, you were in the big leagues, you made several starts, you made a playoff appearance too. What did you learn about yourself and how your stuff plays, you know, when you, you, you got that first big league experience? Um, honestly, everything that correlates going up, like when you grow up, it's all the same game to me. It's, um, I mean, I'm playing the exact same, just the, the speed of the game just gets a little faster. So for me, it was just finding a way to like to stay calm and obviously um, like slow things down and then let my stuff play. Um, I mean, they, they obviously see me as someone who's, you know, good enough to be able to play at that level and compete at that level. And so from there, it's just was all mental for me. Cause I know that my stuff is there and it can compete. So from then it was just trying to stay calm and, you know, attack the zone. And I wonder if that's why you, why you had some success in your first taste of the big leagues, Dane, because you know, just from talking to people over the years, especially pitchers, well, and hitters too, I think when people get to the big leagues first time, there's this tendency to think you have to do more and you have to be better and, and, and do more things. And, and then people try too much and they overthrow and they're swinging too hard and they just get out of their comfort zone. And it seems like the guys who have that initial success kind of believe in, Hey, I, I got to the big leagues. I'll keep doing what I did when I got there. It's, I, one of the three main reasons I was looking forward to interviewing you, Dane, was when I talk to scouts, I can talk to five different scouts and get them to rank your pitches in five different ways. There's like no consensus <laughs> when I talk to scouts, like what's his best pitch? How do you stack him up? I mean, I know you throw two seam, four seam, curve, slider, change up. If you were ranking your own pitches from one to five, how would you rank them from best to worst? Um, it, I, to me, honestly, it just depends on the hitter and the approach that they take. So, I mean, for, for most of the time, right-handed dominant, um, I'm throwing more two seam sliders and then obviously curveballs, it can be more four seam, um, for lefties, it'd be more four seam curveballs. 
Um, I like to throw changeups both sides of the plate um, to both um, both sides of hitters. And um, I mean, I guess it just all depends on like really the situation. I feel confident in all my pitches at any point in time in any count, and I, I take a lot of pride in that. Is that one of those things too? I mean, I guess it must be nice when you, when you have that many different pitches and you have confidence in all of them. I mean, obviously, it's not like every day or every time you start, all the pitches are the same quality every start. I mean, they, they fluctuate from start to start. So, I mean, if you have five pitches and you trust them all, I guess if if only three are working in a given day, you, you still have three pitches to work. You know, if you have three pitches, you can really trust and, and you can kind of phase the other two, you know, out a little bit more on that given day. Exactly. And, I mean, I'll go into games and I'll throw – you know, 90 something pitches or hundred pitches. And I might only have six curveballs or five changeups. And it's, um, a lot of times too, is I will stay more, you know, slider dominant or two seam dominant or throw the occasional four seam or vice versa. And it's just more or less just to get hitters off balance. Um, when they see things consistently, obviously they get better rhythm and better timing, but if you could throw something in there that throws everything off, um, I think it's a big help. And, and so that's kind of how I take all take my approach into every like every hitter that comes up. Um, obviously, I know there there's sweet spots and their hot spots and everything and where to avoid. But you know, every once in a while, you got to flash like a four seam or a two seam or uh, throw a curveball because they're not they're not expecting it. They may they may see that I throw more two seam sliders and that when I throw a curveball, it's you know throws them off a little bit. As a pitcher, how do you approach preparation this offseason? I mean, we're still dealing with the pandemic. It looks like we are going to have a 162-game season after a 60-game season last year. And your innings, because of the elbow injury, really fluctuate. I think you pitched 144 in 2017, 86 in 2018 before you got shut down. Nothing official. I'm, you know, I guess you're working your way back in 2019 and maybe pitched some on the side. And then 34 innings of game action last year. So the season's going from 60 to 162. Your workload's going from 34 official innings the last two years to hopefully you might make 34 starts this year. If we have 162 game season, how do you prepare for that? How, how difficult is that this off season? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't take it any difficult in any other season. Uh, every season that you go in, obviously has its ups and downs. Um, I mean, like 2018, I end up blowing out my elbow. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm taking the same attitude as I would the season before and the before that. Um, I'm going to try to do my job to the best I can. And I'm going to try to prepare myself the best I can. Um, so like this year I went down to Fort Lauderdale and had, um, I worked out with a good group of guys and, uh, I try to put myself in the best physical shape that I can leading up into spring training. And I, I have a pretty strict throwing program that I'm on as well. And so I'm trying to stick with that. That way when spring training happens, I can be prepared for the season. Gotcha. Uh, you, you may or may not know this about me, but I, anytime I talk to anybody who was on the 2016 Florida Gators, I have to ask them about that pitching staff. I've even asked Pete Alonzo and Buddy Reed, doesn't matter if they're hitters, ask everybody about the pitching staff. You were part of a, a staff that, you know, had five first round picks, I think eight or nine guys who went in the top three or four rounds, it might be nine or 10 guys who pitched in the big leagues before all is said and done. You guys didn't quite win the national championship that year, but the guys who came back won it the next year. And uh, one, what was it like to be, Part of that staff. I mean, you were first round pick, and at times I think you were a midweek starter at, at times just because the staff was so loaded, which is crazy. And then two, I ask every pitcher on that staff this question: If you were building a pitching repertoire among the pitches of the guys on that staff, whose whose pitches would you take to build that repertoire? Um, so there were, to start off, that, um, I mean, that pitching staff was we were unbelievably talented and um, I was fortunate to be a part of that team just to see and learn from each and every different person. Um, Cause I mean, even today there's things that I I've learned in college from like people that I worked with and talked with and, and I use it today. Um, I mean, Logan Shore had a great changeup and I always try to mimic his changeup and his like, he's always had very sound mechanics. And so that's something that I always kind of like, like looked after. Um, I mean, it was extremely talented and you, um, you're right. Like we were so talented. I, uh, my junior year, I was coming out of the pen. I was a reliever. Um, I made some midweek starts at the start of the year. And then after once you started getting the SEC play, I was strictly a reliever. Um, I mean, we had Logan Shore as our Friday night starter and we had AJ Puck, who was, um, our Saturday starter and Alex Faita, who's, I mean, those are three studs right there. They're, I mean, it's hard to compete. Um, and we were all competing for the same job. And, um, I mean, credit to them, they beat me and 
we ended up having a good team and I was out of the pen. But um, if I had to build a repertoire um, out of everyone, it would definitely be uh, Pucks Fastball. Um, obviously, Lefty, he's just, he, it's so effortless coming out of his hand. Um, Logan Shores changeup. I'd have to say probably Fido Slider. Um, Singer's two seam. If we're going with two seam, definitely Singer. Um, Sean Anderson's cutter. If, if we're, you know, probably throwing it out, throwing it all in there. I'm probably going to stick with my breaking ball. Um, and that, I mean, that's probably, that's probably it. I mean, we had so much talent on the team. It's hard because I mean, Jackson Cohart, such a great change up and such a great, like he had great life to his fastball and same with singer. He had really good slider and fastball. It's like, there's so many different routes that you could take for that staff. Yeah. And, and that's why I've been fascinated with it for years. And, I mean, you know, Singer and Coar were freshmen who wound up becoming first-round picks. And, you know, guys like Sean Anderson was a reliever. And Scott Moss, who I think had Tommy John while he was in college and never really pitched a whole lot, wound up being, I want to say, a third-round pick. And he led the minor leagues in wins two years ago. And he'll probably be in the big leagues this year with the Indian. I mean, that staff was crazy. And, I mean, as you know, I mean, you were part of it. Winning a championship, winning the College World Series, it's not just, it's not just being a talented team you kind of have to get hot at the right times. And yes, definitely. The crazy thing is that that 2017 Gators team, the one the national championship might be Kevin O'Sullivan's worst team. If you were just stacking it up on talent that he had in his whole career. I mean, I mean, Florida is going to the college series every year, but like I, I saw that team play in April. I'm, I'm a Georgia grad. I was back on campus. I, I went to a Fiedo start and you, there was injuries. The lineup was, was kind of beat up, but like, I think it was definitely the worst lineup he's had just in terms of, production but yet they got hot at the right time and they won the national championship so it's kind of funny how how that works out sometimes yeah i mean it's i mean you mean you hit it on the nail it's uh you hit it right on the head it's when you get hot at the right time it's also a lot to do with team chemistry and everything and and when we when i was going through we had great team chemistry we were always interacting as a group and um like and so on and then that next year they came out and um, they struggled at the start a little bit, but then they got rolling and they definitely got hot when it came to the playoffs. And I was, I mean, I was so excited to see them actually win it. And, um, I keep telling everybody though, that they got better without me. <laughs> but, uh, once I left, they got better. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I think I want to say, I think they were, I think they were number one in the country last year too, when the pandemic shut everything down. Cause they did, in fact, again, being a Georgia guy, Georgia was loaded. We had, you know, Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox with really good pitches. I think, Florida and Georgia were opening the SEC schedule against each other and then it shut down and, and that was in the season. So, yeah, they, I mean, they were undefeated. I think, well, actually I think they just got their first loss right before, That's right. right before the season. And I think it was against the, the worst school ever, but, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I mean, th th that team, it looks really talented. I mean, it looks stacked. Um, I mean, I, I keep up just through like Twitter and stuff like that, just watching all the stuff that Florida baseball like, posts and I'll, and I'll catch a, a occasional game every once in a while. Uh, it's kind of hard when you're, when I'm playing a season while they're playing a season, but I try to, I try to tune in every once in a while. Yeah, I haven't seen the rankings yet, but I know just from the scouts about the draft in terms of guys for this year and going forward, I mean, they've got to be one of them. They're still one of the most talented teams in the country. So I'm sure they'll be, they'll be ranked high again. But anyway, Dan, I really appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, seeing you pitch, uh, hopefully in person at some point this year and uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy Texas. Good luck. Uh, good luck with the Rangers. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I had a really good time in talking to Dane Dunning. Uh, you know, it was, you know, interesting. I mean, for a guy who was a first round pick, he's already been involved in two uh, significant trades at this point in his career, made his big league debut last summer. Uh, I, I was hoping when I talked to him, he was going to help me write his blurb because I can never get scouts to tell me or reach a consensus as to which is his best pitch. We, we've given 55s to all his pitches. He he wasn't much help there, but he, he it was fun talking to him. And, and of course, as you guys uh, were not surprised, anytime I, I, I talk to anybody involved with the 2016 Florida Gators, I have to talk about that pitching staff. So a uh, good interview. Um, you know, it was good to see him come back from Tommy John surgery and have some success in the big leagues last year. That's only moderately less surprising than you bringing up Georgia in any given podcast. So yeah, that, that well, there are our rivals. So, it would have I mean, been, I know it would have been shocking. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's sort of been interesting to, to follow his path 
uh, you know, because you know, we, we've talked about this a bunch before, but we split up the country for the draft and I have Florida. So he was one of the more sort of interesting guys. And even though he pitched for the Gators was a little bit under the radar because that team was so good. He had trouble breaking into the rotation. Uh, so he, he was slightly under the radar for, for a guy coming from, from that program and end up being a first rounder. But uh, it's been fascinating watching him. Uh, I hope he settles into the Rangers rotation nicely now uh, and, you know, gets a chance just to go out and, and pitch after making that, that big league debut last year where he, you know, by and large threw well. So uh, excited to see what comes next to, for him. And hopefully, hopefully he can stay in one place and, uh, you know, doesn't have the travel, you know, that travel bag and the uh, forwarding address uh, information at, at the ready. Hopefully he's in one place for a while now. Our thanks to Dane Dunning for joining the MLB Pipeline podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk about the under 25 draft. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, both of whom uh, recently took part in a draft along with three other MLB.com reporters, Sarah Langs, Jesse Sanchez, and Mike Petriello, in which they were tasked to pick, uh, to draft five players uh, that are twenty under 25. Um, and the way that we uh, settled on this was it's any player who is playing the 2021 season uh, at an age under 25, and the cutoff date for the birthday was July 1st. And there are a ton of very, very talented players that uh, will be playing the season at age 24 or under. And, uh, you know, I did, I did not break this down by uh, current big leaguers versus players who are still on the top 100 prospects list. I can maybe do that uh, while you guys are talking, but um, some interesting things happened in this draft, starting with the number one overall pick. Um, and then extending through the first eight picks. Um, but, Jim, you had the second pick. Uh, Sarah Langs went first. I would be curious to see, and I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do this on Twitter. We'll put out a uh, – we'll, we'll do a, a, a poll tweet, and we'll put out four options. Uh, and who would you take first in a draft of players under 25 years old? I know you were surprised by the first pick because you had told me uh, that you were debating between Juan Soto and Ronald, Ronald Acuna Jr. because you were certain that Sarah Langs would be taking Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, although I, I like the Soto pick too. Like if I were lining up the players, I would have gone Tatis Jr. one, Soto two, Acuna three. And I think you could really make a case for taking any of those three guys first they were kind of a, a clear top three for me. I just think, like, if, if I was picking first, I would have taken, you know, Tatis being a shortstop and Soto being a corner infielder, that, that would be the tiebreaker for me. I, I love Soto's bat. I, I think he's got the most dangerous bat of those three guys. I think uh, both uh, Tatis and Acuna can beat you in more ways than once Soto can. Um, so it was interesting. But, yeah, it was funny because we, we drafted by mail. And, it, it, you know, we just started by email. And then there wasn't like a, we weren't 
sitting in a virtual chat room, you know, just making the picks. So it was kind of like pick whenever. So I assumed that Tatis was going number one. And, you know, it actually did, didn't take me that long. When I was looking at Soto and Acuna, I was just like, you know, Acuna is more well-rounded. I just think Soto's bat is, is just at a different level. So um, I talked myself into, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be real excited to get uh, Soto here with the number two pick. And I, I would have been happy with either of those guys. And, and I'm happy to get Tatis at, at number two. I mean, who would you have taken, Jonathan, if you were picking number one? I would have taken Tatis um, just because, you know, the the combination. I mean, this was a weird draft, right? Because we're thinking prospects, we're thinking guys in the big leagues. But here's a guy who's super young who already has a f- really good amount of track record at a premium position. Uh, so I think the combination of all those things would have would have made me take him number one. I, I, I wouldn't have been upset, you know, if I had been in your spot and – and pick number two, um, then I think that I would have, uh, you know, been happy with any of the three of them. Um, in some ways, you were in a, in a more enviable position because you could just decide, you know, reacting off of what what Sarah did. Uh, I was a little surprised that Juan Soto did go n- number one uh, just because of the corner outfield spot, although he's such a good hitter. It's hard to get, like, really, you know, freaked out about it. Another interesting thing uh, that developed in this draft, the fact that each of the first eight picks in the draft uh, were, were international signees. Yeah, that, that was surprising. I, I didn't pick until fifth, so I had to wait a, a little bit. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, I was, I was kind of hoping uh, that uh, our number one prospect would get to me, but he didn't. So, uh, but yes, the, very international heavy, um, you know, and I don't, it made me think for a little bit, Jim, that like that when we do our top 100s that we tend to be a little draft heavy and because we do more on the draft stuff and some, some of these younger international players, we don't get to see, and then they move so quickly that uh, it gets a little tougher. Um, so, uh, you, you know, but I thought that was very interesting that we didn't, we didn't get to, a draft prospect, a, a guy who was drafted until pick number nine, uh, and that came from Jim. But uh, uh, yeah, that that was probably the, one of the biggest developments, and that overall it was very, very international heavy. Would you have taken Franco over Robert had it had he lasted until five? Well, here's the thing: I got picks five and six, so I would have gone Franco and Robert. Okay, as but my, I mean, if you my... only had one of them, who would you have taken? Like, like if you were picking four, who would you have taken? Probably Robert, but I was kind of planning because I knew I had both picks um, that I, I that, that I was kind of hoping that those would be my two. Gotcha. Yeah, while it was interesting that the first eight picks in the draft were all international players, not really surprising when you think back to uh, I, I remembered that there was one of our top one hundred lists. The, the first eight players on that list uh, were international players, and I think that was the first time that it ever happened. Um, and looking back, it was the 2017 midseason list, um, which started with Yohan Moncada, who was not eligible for this draft, um, nor was Ahmed Rosario, who was number two. Gleyber Torres was number three on that list, followed by Rafael Devers, Victor Robles, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Eloy Jimenez, and Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, all but, uh, what, Robles, Rosario, and Moncada were taken in this draft. Mancada and Rosario not eligible. So Robles, the only one who was eligible among those eight, but not taken. Um, what, what, do you, what do you guys think? Not, I mean, there are 13 players in the top 100 prospects list, current top 100 prospects list who went in this draft. And I know you're, you're, you're banking on, you know, unfulfilled potential with these guys have not seen them. Uh, most of them or many of them in the big leagues yet. Um, but where, where do you stand on Victor Robles now? I think he's kind of an interesting, interesting case. He's been up. He's what fair to say he's been underwhelming, or is is that is that going too far? I think that's going too far because I mean the guy won a World Series ring. You could tribute. He's played every day on a World Series team, stole twenty bases and hit seventeen homers. You know he had a disappointing year last year, but 
I, I kind of give everybody a mulligan because it wasn't a normal year. Um, you know, I, I was expecting him to build off that 22 season, you know, the, the, the age 22 season in 2019. You know, I, I don't think he's, you know, I don't know if he's changed his swing a little bit to try to hit for more power. I mean, he's driven the ball more. He's striking out more. I think he's still kind of finding that happy medium of, of what exactly he's going to be. Um, he's a wonderful defensive player. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're still trying to figure out, is he going to be a star or is he going to merely be a good player? But I, I think the floor is pretty high on him. And I, I considered him in this draft. I mean, the thing that was difficult is, you know, we, we just did 25 players under 25. So rather than some of the pipeline drafts we've done in the past where we drafted complete teams, in which case I think he definitely would have been drafted as one of, what, 15 outfielders. Um, we were just drafting 25 guys. Right. And I, I actually got to the point where I was sad when we got to the fifth round because – Marco Luciano didn't get drafted and Jason Dominguez didn't get drafted and big leaguers like Victor Robles didn't get drafted and there just weren't enough spots. Only a handful of pitchers as well, right? Yeah, that was a that was kind of a, a, an interesting part of this. Had, you know, had we been forced to take pitchers, I think that would have been interesting. Um, but I think if you're only taking five guys and there's more certainty in the offensive player, uh, I, I think. Um, and I, that, that, at least that's why I didn't end up taking a picture. I certainly, you know, I considered, I considered stealing Mackenzie Gore from, from Jim, um, you know, before he, he eventually took him. But, uh, I, you know, there were only, and there weren't that many big league pitchers to really consider. I guess what Jesus Lazardo would probably be the guy that, I considered the most of the pitchers who were not taken. What about your boy Ian Anderson? I like Ian Anderson. He would have been next up if you know if if I could have you know filled out a rotation, I would have happily taken Ian Anderson. But uh, I did not. When we were only looking at five players, he was not somebody that I was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to take him. I don't know why. I mean, this is this was very much a gut feel kind of draft. Yeah. Well, you, you've got the left side of the field locked down with two third basemen and two shortstops. Nobody, even though you have no pitchers, Jonathan, nobody will be hitting a ball through the left side of your infield. It will be an extreme shift. Yeah, only only three pitchers taken. Sixto Sanchez uh, was the first to go at number 13. Mike Soroka at number 18. And Mackenzie Gore, Jim, you took at number 22. And you know what's weird? This will sound funny come from me because everybody knows I love Mackenzie Gore. It, it, it pained me to 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 not be able to – like when we did this started, I didn't really plot out how many guys were going to go. But I was like, man, I really like Marco Luciano. I, I, I love Marco Luciano as a prospect. But like when I picked a shortstop in the fourth round, I, I kind of stayed true to our top 100 order. Bobby Witt was there. C.J. Abrams was there. You know, there were big league shortstops too. And then I was like, oh, I got to get Jason Dominguez in this draft just because, you know, this is my last pick. And it's like, well, Mackenzie Gore is sixth in our top 100. I can't take him over Jason Dominguez, who's in the 30s and has great tools, but hasn't debuted yet. And, and you know, there's no real track record of, of game performance to go on. So I was, I, I was both happy to get Mackenzie Gore, and, but then sad that I didn't have more picks to take Luciano and Dominguez. I think you felt a little pressured to take Gore. No, no, I, I really didn't. I really didn't. Now, you know, and like you said, John, I think had we been drafting teams, like you know, like let's say we all had to draft a second baseman, that would have been interesting because I don't know who the top. I mean, maybe we could have cheated and you could have put C.J. Abrams at second, and I could have put Bobby Wood Jr. at second because I had Tatis. But it would have been interesting if you had to take like a lefty pitcher and a righty pitcher, and and you know, I, I grabbed Adley Rutschman early, but like, what if you had to take five catchers? I don't know that there are five. Catchers, everybody was going to feel good about, you know, if we all had to feel a complete team. So it was an interesting way to do it. But I, I felt no pressure to take Gore. I just, I figured I had to, I, I tried to stay true to the top 100 a little bit. Um, but like it pained me not to take Luciano or Dominguez. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see how this would play out if, uh, if you were all drafting full lineups, a full team. That would have been uh, interesting. I think there would have been a lot Next of time. Uh, Next time. I think there'd be a lot of uh, a lot more strategy involved. Strategery. We well, remember what was the draft we did? Was it f- top, top 10, ten picks with draft slots? And there were only so many first basemen. So part of the strategy was I think we were all maneuvering to be forced to take Prince Fielder. Um, and who I think I wound up 
getting quote unquote stuck with, even though he was the best op. It was that that was the, those drafts when we've done them have always been interesting strategy where you have to look at positions. So, um, yeah, but this was fun too. It was, it was interesting. And we should, we should probably clarify that, that this was based on these players long-term projection. We're not, we weren't, you guys weren't drafting based on uh, who you think is going to be best in 2021 Correct. or uh, even just over the next few years, but long, long-term projection for these guys. All right. That story will be up on MLB.com, MLBpipeline.com soon. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, right now we want to talk a little bit about a couple of relatively minor trades that happened recently, both involving, not surprisingly, the Rays. Um, the guy's a, a, an interesting name in uh, one of them in, in terms of prospects and Ronaldo Hernandez. Uh, the Rays sent him and infielder Nick Sogard to Boston for right-hander Chris Mazza and left-hander Jeffrey Springs. And Ronaldo Hernandez is a name that we're certainly familiar with and uh, prospect hounds out there are familiar with. He was a, a former top 100 prospect, was number 84, I believe, on the 2019 list, yes. Um, but uh, his... He, he, he has no helium at the time, right? He's he's dropped off a bit. He's not on the yeah. top 100 prospects. He has lead. Is that what you're saying? He has lead rather than helium. You know, I, do you remember? Do you remember that, Jason? I tried. I tried to introduce that in our draft coverage, calling it the lead balloon for a while. Did not catch. That does on. sound vaguely familiar. It does. It did not catch on. But yeah, I, it's it's interesting because he had you know he had a bad 2019 season. Uh, he had a you know a very good 2018 season. Uh, and that's why he, you know, ended up on our on our top um, 100. You know, big reason why he ended up uh, as a futures game catcher. Uh, finding world team catchers can be challenging, um, but you know, this guy who hit 21 homers uh, in his full season debut in 2018, uh, and that's really his calling card offensively. Uh, he hit you know, decently enough at an 832 ops that year. And then he moved up to the Florida state league and just didn't really didn't hit. Um, you know, it wasn't awful. He hit 265, but you know, and the Florida state league is not a fun place to hit, but the, the power was kind of gone. Um, you know, he, he's an arm strength guy behind the plate. Uh, but the rest of the, the catching is rough. Um, so we're talking about a guy with a power arm and a power bat and, and, and who didn't hit for power, um, in his, uh, in his time in the Florida state league, you know, he had a decent fall league, even though it was very small sample size. And then we didn't see him, you know, so this is a guy who could have bounced back with a strong 2020 and, you know, to move up to double a, and we'd be talking about him much differently. Uh, but we, we haven't seen him at all. So the star has, has faded a little bit, and I think the fact that what the the trade was for shows that his star has faded. Right now, he's a guy whose name is probably more famous than he is good, or or at least is as considered as a as a prospect. And Jim, you slotted him into the Red Sox list at number fifteen. Yeah, I mean, kind of apples. You know, we we've talked about when you're putting guys on the current list. It's always hard because there's like, and especially now, because we're already starting to redo the list. They aren't officially out yet, but like, you know, you wind up putting him <laughs> ahead of guys. He, he might be behind on the new list and behind guys he might be ahead of, but I, I kind of apples to apples him and compared him to Connor Wong, who another Red Sox trade acquisition from the Mookie Betts trade, who, who hasn't played uh, an official game in the Red Sox system yet because of the the pandemic, and and I like him a little bit more than Wong, but but Johnson's right. I mean his star has dimmed. Um, I mean you look at you know at the Rays, they traded for Blake Hunt this offseason in the Blake Snell trade. Um, like it, it kind of this trade to me kind of sends a message that they value Blake Hunt more than they they value. Um, then they value Hernandez and, and Jonathan's right. I mean, like in a normal year, he would have had a chance to bounce back. I mean, there are some tools there. I, I think the catching part is in question. You know, he, you know, I think if you're looking for, for a cause for optimism, 
he had that really good year where he hit 21 homers at age 20 in the Midwest League, which I think is the toughest place to hit in the minors. And and now we're gonna, I'm going to have to really learn all that stuff since we ha- we have geographic-based leagues and they aren't going to have names. Well, I guess Midwest is a geographic-based name. Um, but you know, he makes contact. Like, like the, the problem with the Florida State League was not that he was swinging and missing too excessively. It's just that I think, uh, you know, as he moved up and he faced better pitchers, they realized this guy's going to swing at everything and he can put the bat on the ball. So let's let him get himself out. And he made a lot of weak contacts. So, you know, I think there's definitely the potential for him to get back on track. You know, we're going to need to see, uh, you know, how he does defensively as to whether he can be an everyday catcher. Um, you know, but like so many guys were just hurt by not playing last year. And I mean, this guy needed at bats, he needed reps behind the plate and he just didn't get them. So, uh, you know, an interesting trade. I mean, the Red Sox gave up a couple of, you know, designated for assignment, you know, fungible type arms. Um, and, you know, they'll take a flyer on, on Hernandez and see what he is. The other trade that the Rays were involved in was sending John Curtis to the Marlins for first base prospect Evan Edwards, who was not on the Marlins top 30 list. But, uh, Jim, I believe when this trade went down, you said he you said he he is a either dude or guy. I think I probably said dude. And, you know, if if the if this was the Marlins list or had been the Marlins list of, say, two, three years ago before they started drafting better and making trades and making a big splash internationally, he would have been on the list. He, he was one of the better senior signs in the 2019 draft. He's a chance to hit for some power and average. He's a very good defender at first base. And it's funny because... Like he wasn't going to make the Marlins list, the 2021 Marlins list, because it's just too crowded right now. Although they may have more graduates off their list, something like 10 or I think 10 of their top 13 prospects already have major league experience. So that list will probably have a lot of turnover this year. And he probably would have made it. But when I was working on the new list, one of the people I talked to with the Marlins, we were talking about various players and, and Evan Edwards, and he told me, you know, the Rays have been stalking Evan Edwards all, all offseason. He literally told me that, I think, 10 days before the trade went down. And so apparently the, the Rays saw something they really liked in Evan Edwards and, uh, you know, and went out and, and got him for John Curtis, who's a I, – I like John Curtis coming out of the draft too. I, I think he's a useful bullpen arm. So uh, interesting trade. And, you know, I, I think the, it goes to show that even guys who aren't on top 30 prospect lists, especially in the deeper systems, you know, do have value. The the really quick follow up is which is better, a dude or a guy? Um, I just use dude. I, I think dude a dude outranks guy in terms of prospecty goodness. Okay, good to uh, know. Yeah, well, let's do a top three list of prospecty goodness names: dude, guy, prospect. Is that that's the order? Dude, guy, prospect. I think it would be dude, guy, body. Like body would indicate that you're in the trade but you don't have much value. That's a huge drop off, though. I think. Like dude and guy are like that. There's some. Well, if we only get three of them, you get you have to have something reserved for the guys who aren't really prospects. Well, like if if I'm calling a guy a prospect, like maybe he's not really a prospect. All right, Jim touched on uh, the new top thirty prospects list coming out. He also we talked about a trade that the Red Sox were involved in, and that leads us nicely into our final segment of this MLB Pipeline podcast, which is the mailbag. Uh, we have. One question pertaining to the Red Sox, one question pertaining to the top 30 lists. Let's tackle the easiest one first. When will the organizational top 30s come out? A question we get all the time, and uh, this has been a bit of a moving target this year, but we are currently slated. Well, I'll, I'll let you guys answer. No, you go ahead and answer. Go ahead. You're, you're, you're you, fine. You okay. Take that one. All right, I'll, take, I'll take this one. I think this is the first mailbag question I've asked. You don't ever. get to answer many mailbag questions, so come on. We're, Currently slated to start rolling out the top 30 prospects lists on March 8th. It'll be a gradual rollout where we'll roll out a division per day. And uh, this is something that we've done typically in the past. We, we changed it a little bit last year, but we're going to go back to um, putting out the top 30 lists by division for any team that is not ranked in the top 10 in our farm system rankings which is how we will uh, how the countdown will culminate. So, if we roll out a division's top thirty prospects list, and your favorite team is not part of that, you should be happy. Uh, you may be uh, a little anxious because you want to see your team's top thirty list, but that means that your team is in the top ten. So it'll be a, a two week rollout. 
uh, a division per day, and then we'll count down. We'll do uh, what? What do we do? Nine and ten on uh, the Tuesday of the second week, and then seven and eight, and then four, five, six, and one, two, three. Uh, so that's that's the answer to that question. I think you should answer all of these, Jason. All right. Uh, yeah, you guys can go ahead and uh, call today, and I'll I'll wrap up here. Nice. No, I'm going to let you take this one. Uh, and that question, by the way, was from Michael Wood at at Bookie Wood is his Twitter handle. And this one comes from Red Sox fan uh, at AJ Amir, A-J-A-M-I-R-R. What is your expectation for the three PTBNL the Red Sox will receive? And do you have an idea of what kind of prospects they'll be? Tier one, tier two, tier three, which I guess, Jim, will be dude, guy, body. <laughs> Nicely done. That is, very, that is very good. That's very good. I think we are the the, the I my I, ah, I came to speak. You made me laugh so much. You threw me threw my line of thinking off. I do our Red Sox list, so I asked this very question um, about you know what you know what else will be coming back in the Benetton trade. My understanding is, I think it's two players to be named from the Royals and one from the Mets. We think, I believe that's the case. In any case, I was told they will probably not be top 10 caliber prospects, it would be more middle list top guys. So I think, and then that would make them guys. They would be middle list type guys. Um, so I think they're getting three guys, not dudes, but better than bodies. There you have it. Uh, as always, you can send in your mailbag questions. Uh, Jim and Jonathan on Twitter will send out the bat signal for questions and you can reply there. You can also send them to uh, pipeline at MLB.com if you'd like. And uh, they'll either be answered. They can either be answered in the inbox uh, story that runs on the site, or we'll answer them here, or maybe both. Answer them in both places. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions or questions, make sure to leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the MLB Pipeline podcast. See you next week.